We are in Genesis 3, verses 8 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Our words will be up on the screen as well. Genesis 3, 8 to 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would uh, shine light on these words, that we would understand uh, what you have for us here this afternoon. Lord, thank you that you have wrote to us, you've wrote clearly so that we can understand and that you love us and care for us. We pray, Lord, that you would speak powerfully this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Maybe like 50% of this church wasn't here last week, so I'm just going to catch you up very briefly. Uh, last week, we saw that uh, every worldview, every uh, system of belief that anyone has, has to explain the world as it is. It has to explain a lot of questions about the world. Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? And most importantly, why does everything die? Why does everything have a timer, a timeline? Why does it end? And we saw that the answer to that question last week was a three-letter word, sin. Sin. The word sin uh, is actually an archery term. If you were an archer and you had a target and you were pulling a bow out and you were shooting the arrow, if you missed the target, you'd be sinning. You would sin. You'd fall short. You wouldn't hit the mark. And uh, evil basically doesn't exist as its own entity, but rather it is the absence of good. It is a failure to reach a target. Think of it like darkness. There's no way for us to know what darkness is without light. And darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness isn't actually a thing. It's the absence of something. And that's the same with evil. Evil is an absence of good. It's an absence of good. And in the garden, everything was given to Adam and Eve. No good thing was withheld from them. Nothing was withheld. There was no joy, no happiness, no satisfaction, no with fulfillment withheld from them. They lived in this perfect microcosm where every need was met, whether physically, psychologically, emotionally, uh, whatever you want to add to that, it was all met. It was all met. The only thing that was withheld was dangerous. There's only one thing withheld, and that one thing became the focus, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree represented what we would call a, a duplex knowledge, You can't know one without the other. You can't know one without the other. All Adam and Eve experienced was the good. But without the contrasting knowledge of evil, there was no way for them to understand good entirely. And likewise, you can't understand what evil is without some reference to the good. But we live east of Eden. We live on the other side. We're no longer in the garden. There are weeds. There are thorns. The world is not as it should be. Sin has come in. And what it was like for them, you know, to live without sin, without guilt, without shame, all, 
all that good stuff, without any temptation to sin, uh, we don't have any reference to that. We can't even begin to understand what that would be like. But Adam and Eve simply just don't know what they don't know. And they have no way of knowing that what they had just given up was infinitely precious. So why did they give it up? It was a temptation. This was a temptation they faced. Satan put it like this, you will be like God. You will be like God. They wanted the knowledge, they wanted the prestige, they wanted to be like God, and that lie that Satan tells, you will be like God, is the same temptation that humanity falls to every day. That lie is constantly being told. The desire to call the shots, the desire to be in control, the desire to know things that we ought not to know. And at the end of last week, we saw Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed. No longer were they naked and unashamed, they're naked and ashamed, and they sewed fig leaves together to make loincloths, and Although they were able to cover up their nakedness, there was no way for them to cover up their shame. And so here we are. Their shame motivated them to hide. And now they're vulnerable, exposed. And then they hear the sound of God walking in the garden and they hide. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, have a tiny, only a tiny shred of empathy for them, only a tiny amount, because you've got to understand that Adam and Eve have now just been dumped with this overwhelming amount of information. And their nature and their disposition, and I guess their entire constitution has just completely changed. They're a different creature now. They are not the same anymore. They have died. They've been completely saturated now in the knowledge of evil and the ability to do it, to the ability to carry it out. And this is the normal state of humanity now. You can look around at everyone in the room. No one is in the garden state anymore. We are fallen. And this is normal for us. You're like, okay, I get it, Cody. Like, I understand it. This is my life every day. I get it. But for them, understand it's shocking, overwhelming and terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And they're completely aware of the fact that what they have done was massive. It was a catastrophe of the highest order. There is no catastrophe that has ever happened that reached these heights. And it happened almost with a murmur. It happened with the faintest of things. Quite amazing. And so rather than face up to God, they hide. Rather than take ownership of what they've done, they evade responsibility. They evade repentance. They don't want to come clean. They don't want to come clean, and we haven't changed much since the garden. We're all the same. We all hide from God, and we all run from God. We hide our sin, our mistakes, the things that keep you up at night. We don't want to bring them into the light. We don't want them to be seen. We hide it all in different ways. And some, you know, it's pride and bravado. You know, I don't care. It doesn't matter. These things, uh, I don't think they're bad. I don't think what, whatever you want to go down that, that uh, road where the pretense, blame shifting, playing the victim... That's something we're going to see a lot here. Minimizing or downplaying our sins. However you do it, we're all afraid of God and we don't want to come into His presence. And I get it. I feel it. It's me. Well, they're not going to come into His presence. But that's not really going to matter for them, is it? Do they get a choice as to whether or not they're going to have this meeting with God? Not really. They don't get a choice at all. 
They would have to stand before God and give an account. And I want you to notice that that is something that's true for all of us. That is something that's true for all of us. One day we will stand before God and give an account for our lives. And note, it's a holy and righteous God we're standing in front of. If you're like a little, uh, you know, ooh, this isn't going very well, uh, I'm with you. <laughs> it says here that God is walking in the cool of the day. Now, the word cool here in Hebrew actually means wind. It's uh, ruach, which we also uh, do as spirit, but um, here it means wind, and it refers to that cool change that usually happens at nighttime. It was a uh, Hebrew idiom. And uh, if you uh, know your Bible, you may be thinking, um, how is God walking? What is going on here? Why is God walking in the garden? We know from passages like John 4.24 that God is spirit. Uh, Colossians 1.15 calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. And there are a lot more passages like this. Uh, God isn't a man. Another passage says, spirit has no flesh or bones. Luke 24.39. God is not an embodied spirit like we are. So how is God walking in the garden in the cool of the day? Well, God is an infinite spirit. He's an eternal spirit. I want you to know he has no tangibility. He hasn't got any physical form. You can't touch him. You can't taste him. It's uh, hard to wrap your mind around, but he just simply is. God just simply exists. He exists within time and he exists outside of time. That's pretty gnarly. If you try to think about that, I can't even think about it. He didn't have an end or a beginning. He created time. That's pretty mind-boggling, and uh, he spoke all things into existence. He is in all. He upholds the entire universe by his power, and it's impossible to understand God fully, so don't even try. Uh, Isaiah 55, 8, 9 pretty much says the exact same thing. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And trust me, that's a good thing. Because if you understood God completely, well, you'd have to be God to understand Him. And we are not God. Okay, I've said all these things. I've not answered the question. If God is self-existent and invisible spirit, then what's going here on here in Genesis 3? Why is He walking in the garden in the cool of the day? Well, I'm going to make it slightly harder for me because in the book of Genesis and elsewhere in the Old Testament, God appears in a physical form. He shows up all the time. You guys who have read Genesis know that He shows up all the time in a physical form. Why? Well, I believe that God appeared to humanity in such a way as to be understood. He appeared in such a way so that we would understand him, because how could we understand him as spirit? And as they grew in their understanding of the knowledge of God, I would imagine Adam and Eve, had they not sinned, would begin to realize that God was much more than this physical creature walking in the garden before them. Well, creature is the wrong word, but physical uh, entity walking in the garden. Um, and I believe that it's pointing us to the culmination in the New Testament, when the Word became flesh, when Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt among us, uh, John 1.14. It was the ultimate expression of God in language we could understand. It was language that we could understand. And I want you to notice something about this passage. God in that moment could have pressed the delete key. Any programmers with us, if you program something and it doesn't work, you can just delete it. God didn't press the delete key. He could have wrapped up all of creation, destroyed it. We would never have come into existence and started all over again. He could have done so and he would have been totally good and righteous for having done it. He was totally within his right to do that. But what does he do? He doesn't. He's fully aware that Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit. He was fully aware that they were going to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Notice this. They were hiding from God, but he was not hiding from them. They were the ones who had rejected God, but God was not finished. God went after them. God chased them. Though they were hiding and had run away, God did not leave them there. And praise God for those of us who know what that's like, that God did not leave us. The whole storyline of the Bible is basically this, in a nutshell, one grand storyline salvation narrative of God chasing his people, God going after his people, right from the beginning. It's not the other way around. We're not chasing him. He was chasing us. Adam and Eve are hiding, but God was not. He comes and notices that God gives them every opportunity to make it right. Every opportunity was in front of them to make it right. He gives them every opportunity to repent and turn back. I uh, just want to draw your attention to verse 9 to 11. Pay close attention to these words. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Well, Adam kind of gave away too much information, didn't he? He was a bad liar, but we can cut him some slack. He just learnt how to lie. It's remarkable how much uh, information and intricate detail is in this passage. Uh, If you move too quickly through this, you'd miss it. Uh, Adam responds with half-truth, with evasions, with deception. He gives away too much. And what does he give away? That he was naked. He gave away that he was naked. He wasn't going to come clean with what had just happened, but he couldn't help but give away what had just occurred. Before this moment, Adam and Eve were perfect. They had all their needs and capacities met. Nakedness wasn't a problem. But there are rival forms of information now. Before this moment, Adam had only one source of information. That was God. And he says, who told you that you were naked? Someone has told them this. They didn't get this information from God. There's other sources of information coming. So why does God ask this question? Well, we know that God isn't asking because he's just, what's going on here? Like, someone told you you were naked? He knows what's going on. He already knows. God already knew everything that had happened before this and everything that would happen. What he was doing was giving Adam and Eve the opportunity to come clean, to be honest. And we see it all the time in children especially, don't we? There's all this writing on the wall. There's a decapitated teddy bear in the middle of the uh, living room floor. And you look at your kid and you say, who did this? And your kid with pen in hand and stuffing underneath his fingernails, I don't know. The parent's not asking who did this because they want to know who did it. They're asking this question uh, to get underneath and into the child's heart. They're asking to see whether the child will own their mistake or lie. Nobody told Adam that he was naked. He found that out all by himself. God says, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? This is it. This is Adam's chance to come clean. This is his moment. What does he do? He plays the victim. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Come on, man, take some responsibility. Own it. He doesn't own it. He blames Eve. But does he really blame Eve? 
I don't think so. What does he say? You gave to be with me. This woman that you gave to be with me. Adam throws the creation of Eve back in God's face. God literally, uh, so Adam literally burst into poetry. Remember when he saw Eve? And now he's throwing her under the bus. But he's not really throwing her under the bus because he's basically saying to God, uh, everything was going well until you gave me this woman. It was your fault. God, you gave me this woman. This is your fault. Don't look at me. Don't blame me. Everything was going well until she showed up. I mean, what a loser. What a loser. I mean, we shouldn't be uh, so quick to judge uh, Adam, though, because often when things collapse around us, we also blame God. Whether we know it or not, when we're found out, we blame God. And every time we play the victim, we blame shift, we fail to take responsibility and blame God, we're proving ourselves to be children of Adam. We're just like him. And we often feel like, oh man, I wouldn't have done that. Well, that's good for you, you having hindsight and knowing the story as to what you would have done. But tragically, Adam and Eve, who had loved God, who had lived in perfect relationship with him, have now come to resent him. Who do they love now? Themselves, don't they? They love themselves. And they will throw whoever they have to under the bus to get away with it. They will burn any bridge so that they will be seen in the right, so that they can be absolved of wrongdoing. And after all, who is God to decide what is good and evil anyway? Well, Adam, this is your chance, mate, to repent. And you blew it. God has no more words for you. God is done with Adam. He turns to Eve, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? That question must have hit her like a ton of bricks. must have been ringing in her ears. What is this that you have done? It's a question we must all answer one day before the throne of God. The woman says, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. She follows Adam's example. She doesn't turn back to God. She doesn't ask for forgiveness. She deflects responsibility for her actions and blames the serpent. She also maintains a victim status. She's a victim here. I want you to notice that this is our natural state. This is who we are. This is us, humanity, in a nutshell. When we do business with God, trust me, he's not going to be concerned about the actions of other people. He's not going to be concerned with what happened to you, but what you have done. What is this that you have done? C.S. Lewis says in The Horse and His Boy, uh, I tell no one any story but his own. This is Aslan, kind of C.S. Lewis's embodiment of Jesus speaking. Um, it's your story in question before God. No one else's. There's no other person's story in that moment. No one else's but yours. And people will always say things like, you know, I didn't have a great upbringing. You know, my dad wasn't there when I was growing up. Oh, that person didn't meet my needs. I deserve better than this. And we can always blame a million things to try to explain away who we are, and it will fool the people around you. You will get away with it with people around you. Don't get me wrong. You can't fool God. He knows everything. Ooh, he knows everything to your deepest desires and fears, to every thought. And he doesn't want to know about what other people have done in your life. 
He wants to know what you have done with the life that he has given you. And if you're anything like me, I'm not looking forward to that meeting, that eventual meeting. If you're anything like me, you'll know that you're in big trouble. That's the one meeting, the one appointment you will have in your life that should fill you with dread. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18, 9 to 14. And I think it perfectly illustrates it, so pay, pay very close attention to these words. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I just want you to have a think for a second. Which man went home justified? Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The reality for Adam is he can't unknow what he now knows. He can't undo it. There's no undo button. There's no control Z. He's changed forever. The path of restoration ultimately starts with an acknowledgement of sin. If you can't take responsibility for yourself, if you deflect, minimize, boast, compare, blame, shift, play the victim, well, you're no better than the Pharisee bragging and talking about how great he is before God. There have been many churchgoers who have sit in churches who have this attitude of the Pharisee, believing themselves to be better than others. But those of us who belong to Jesus know that we are no better. We are not better at all. The first step towards salvation is taking responsibility for your sins what the Bible calls repentance. It's why when uh, Jesus begins his ministry in Mark 1.15, he says, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Adam and Eve rebelled against God and didn't take any responsibility for their actions. They willingly ate, they basically ate evil into themselves and by doing so completely changed who they were. They changed their entire constitution and what was the punishment for Adam and Eve? They shall surely what? Die. Where are they now? Where's Adam and Eve? Well, they're dead. Because of their actions on that day, the entire world was subjected to death, misery, suffering, decay. But note this. Just as God went after Adam and Eve in that garden, he goes after you. Just as gently as he spoke with them, Although they had committed high treason, so also does he come after you. He made a way for us to be saved, even though you were destitute. You were like impoverished. You didn't have anything to offer God. What do we have to offer God? Nothing. God is the ultimate perfect judge. And because of that, he can't wipe our sins away. He can't just forgive us. Some people say, God, why can't God just forgive me? Why can't he just let it go? Let's just do like a really quick like mental sort of picture for a second. Come on a journey with me. Imagine we're going to court and someone has just like stolen your entire life savings. Even worse, they've killed a loved one, a close loved one. And you come before this judge and the judge says, 
I am a forgiving and merciful judge. This man goes free. What would you think in that moment to the man who had just stolen your life savings and killed someone that you love? You would think that this is a travesty of justice. This is an outrage. How can you just wipe it all away? It's an injustice if that was to occur. And many think that God just forgives them. This perfect judge is going to be that judge who we all know is wicked and we think God is like that. That's amazing. Of course God is not like that. How can God let us go free? How did he make that work? Well, he stepped in. He stepped in to our filth and brokenness. He waded into this messed up world in the person of Jesus and suffered insults and mockery and whippings and beatings and was nailed to a tree and died. And he died even though he had committed no wrong. He died even though he did not deserve to die. Adam and Eve deserved to die. Jesus had never sinned. And he bore the punishment that we deserved so that we would never, ever have to bear that price. How beautiful. For those who believe in Jesus and trust in his name, he has made a way for that person to be forgiven by taking the punishment that they rightly deserved. He can both be a just God who punishes wrongdoing and a holy and righteous God who loves us and is merciful and can forgive us. The price was paid for you by love. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so a choice is put before us. You can stay in the first man, Adam, and die as he died. Or we can be in Christ and be made alive. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What beautiful words from our Savior. Jesus sets us free from the curse of the fall. He sets us free from death. He sets us free from suffering, from playing the victim, from blame shifting. In Christ, you can own all your flaws. You can just own it because you, know, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You've been saved. You've been ransomed. It's not about being a good boy or a good girl. It's not about getting all your ducks in a row. Because if it was that, we'd all be screwed. None of us can do that. But God has made a way for us all to be saved. You'll find happiness and satisfaction because God's love for you doesn't depend on whether you're, you know, you got everything right, but whether you trust in Jesus. And by nature, we're all like Adam and Eve. But what would it look like for us to do business with God? What would it look like for you to do business with God? What would it look like to consider your life and say, I take responsibility? No one else is responsible for my actions but me. Like that tax collector beating his breast in a sign of, he was just overwhelmed with grief, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. What does he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cry out to forgiveness, for forgiveness to God. And if you do this, you'll be like the tax collector who went home justified. Let's pray.
Father, we love you. Lord, although we went astray, Lord, we didn't go after you. You went after us. Lord, we hid and you found us. And Father, we, a lot of us have been blame shifting and playing the victim for so long. I pray by your Holy Spirit, please, Lord, be drawing on their hearts, be, draw, be drawing them into a relationship with you that they would understand that you love them, that you died for them, that you made a way for them to come into a relationship with you, Lord, to be saved, to have the knowledge that they will one day live again, that you have made all things right and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Though this world is messed up and there is suffering and real brokenness and trials, Lord, and many of us have gone through things that are, bring unspeakable grief. Lord, we thank you that one day you will give us freedom, that you will right every wrong, and that you'll bring us that joy that we so long for and we never find. Lord, I pray for those that are in Adam. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they're in Christ. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.